0: What is art? Is there an overlap between the classic oil paintings by the Renaissance masters, H.P. Lovecraft, and a 21st century tattoo artist? Yes, of course there is. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, and no matter how they all may differ as people, they are all contributing to a form of art in the world. That's what my guest Dan Hank and I discuss today. Dan has his hands in a lot of art fields, and by that I mean a lot of art fields. Over time, he's also become well-recognized in many of them, from political cartoons to fantasy novels, from oil paintings to tattoos, and as you'll hear throughout the episode, numerous others. Dan is a very well-rounded artist who brought a great perspective for this topic. He's also just fun to talk to because you can feel his passion for all the things that he does. Let's discuss what makes us all artists. Welcome to the show. Dan Hank. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you give a little introduction about yourself, just for anyone who's not familiar with you?
1: I feel like I've been through a decent amount of life, but I started out as like a punk rocker with military parents living in like isolated little rural communities where there was a base. We moved every three years. And I always wanted to be an artist and I always wanted to be a writer and I couldn't put the two together. I was like, how am I gonna do both? Which do I like better? And then I read some of the more advanced comic books like Watchmen and Dark Knight and stuff. I was like, oh, I can do both. And so from there, I went through a bunch of hurdles, like including being homeless and being stabbed by a crackhead and a bunch of stuff. But I put myself through art school and moved to New York to try and become a comic artist. One interview with DC Comics kind of shot that down. And I, I was like, I was debating what to do, like where to go after that. Because they basically, they pay you no money and they give you no control. Which is kind of a big problem if you're trying to pay the rent and live in New York, and also a whole thing of giving you no control. Like you're either a writer or an artist. You can't be both. You know, if you're an artist, you can only pencil it or ink it. You can't do both. There's a whole bunch of restrictions, and whatever you do, then has to go to the editor, and he'll make all these changes. And so it, I, I ended up. Um, working for a bunch of other art projects. I did like album covers and I did um, t-shirt designs. And I did magazine covers and book covers and stuff. And uh, 22 years later, I now own a Tattoo Shop and um, I do a lot of uh, illustration on the side for like books and magazines and stuff. And I'm happy with that medium.
0: Yeah, no, it's awesome. And that's like, when you talk about doing art, this is one of the most diverse careers that I've ever seen. Cause you've really, done it all where it's like you know you've been in painting as you said you did cover art you've done the comic scene you've been in writing you've, you're doing tattoo like you've really had a an extremely broad career that's kind of awesome to see because it seems so rare
1: well a lot of it I think is hit or miss because it's like well that didn't work that didn't achieve exactly what it wanted so I'll try this Like, people used to do that back in the day. Like, if you read a lot of the stories about people in, like, the turn of the century, they'd have, like, four or five jobs before they found one that worked for them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that seems, you know, good if you have the ability to do it. But as you said, like, there was a period of your life where that wasn't really, like, a sustainable thing. You're like, oh, I was homeless, or I was getting stabbed, or, you know, like, things you don't necessarily want to be uh, doing every day.
1: I think it's kind of the way you look at stuff It's you know, I'm like, this is what I want to do. So I got to work my hardest to try and make that happen. You know, however, whatever angle I use to approach it, I'll just keep focused on that. And everything else is kind of a distraction. You did this, you came up with this hurdle, like just overcome it because that's not your ultimate goal. Because like in the end, the only person that cares if you make it is you. I mean, you know, maybe your friends are disappointed, maybe your family, but nobody really, n- nobody really cares like you do.
0: Yeah, that's true. Like, nobody else is going to chase your dream for you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, I think so, there are two things as pathetic. as like, well, I always wanted to do this or I always wanted to do that, but then I just, you know, I just temptation because it pays the bills or something like that. Like, like, people just give up without even trying.
0: I think that's really an unfortunately common theme where people are like, yeah, I always really wanted to do art and paint and and do giant murals. But then uh, I couldn't figure out, you know, how I was going to get paid. And I decided to just, you know, work in the the factory in the town I grew up in. It's like, well, did you did you try the other one or did you just think really hard about it and then decided not to do it? Which one came first?
1: No, I hear it. A lot of people get discouraged. and I understand why they get discouraged, but it's like, if this is what you want to do, just keep trying and trying and trying and like tell yourself in your head, this is what I'm going to do. Nobody's going to stop me. This is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, maybe you have to do other jobs to pay the bills in the meantime, but you keep focused on that.
0: Yeah. So when you started out, what was the first thing when you think all the way back? Like, what was the first art medium that you're like, that's what I want to do?
1: like i said i grew up on isolated army bases we didn't even have a tv until fifth grade and that's when my grandma fell short for us as so she gave us her old tv which is like a little fake wood paneling antennas are missing so it's like a it's like a coat hanger with some tinfoil wrapped on it and uh the parents are pretty conservative and they're like you can watch one program a day so we'd watch like Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or something. But it's like, by that point, I was like reading a lot and I was drawing and I was writing. And so it was just like, oh, in those days, like in, in the 80s, television, there wasn't really, there was no Netflix or there, there was no Amazon Prime. You know, there, there weren't things that grabbed your attention as much. So I found a lot more interesting stuff in books and comics and movies there were awesome movies in the 80s. You know, <laughs> I might be a little subjective on that, but, I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Pumpkinhead, Nightmare on Elm Street, like, everything you wanted to see, there was a whole diversion. It seems like people are trying to play it safe now, so you don't see as much of that.
0: I know, I'll make the bold statement. Uh, I think one of the greatest horror movies ever made was made in the 80s, and it was uh, The Thing.
1: Oh, that's an awesome movie. That's one of my top five, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that was great. That was, like, 1981. Right, that uh, was John Carpenter, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think this is his best movie, although he did some good ones, too. Like, They Live is awesome.
0: Absolutely. So, did you start writing horror?
1: I started... Everything I write is pretty dark. So, it's, you know, I was like, I like fantastical stuff. Like, you know, like, straight up, like, slasher, or, you know, just one crazy guy with, like, a knife or whatever. To me, that's kind of boring. It's like, okay, it's one crazy guy. You know, I like it when there's a story, like something really intense, like, like if you saw the fly or pumpkin head or something, like there's a crazy story behind it. So that's what I was trying to, I mean, my first, I wrote my first novel in the seventh grade, but it was, I'm sure it's pretty horrible if you read it now. Like I did it on like, you know, line, you know, notebook paper and I drew like little illustrations in the corner. It's about like giant robots in space. But, uh, like I I was interested in telling something weird and different. And and I think, I think I kept up with that and hopefully I got a lot better at telling it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's part of that where you're like, I want something that I can't just walk outside and experience or something that's not just going to hit the the news covers as a real story. Like, why would you want to read it in the book? So I think that's awesome. Make that, uh, that leap to fiction.
1: I think that's a draw, especially things like the Outer Limits and Twilight Zone is like, all these like crazy fantastical stories and when i started out it, when i was a kid it would really bore me with like just mundane everyday things i was like i really want something that like even if it seems unrealistic it kind of grabs my interest you know and that kind of stuff grabs my interest and i remember as a kid i was kind of like i don't know if i have the imagination for all this stuff because you know you're you're, you're used to your experiences and your experiences seem kind of mundane especially on rural army bases, you know, all over the country. And, and like, I'm watching a bunch of sci-fi, but I'm like, I don't want to copy other people's ideas. But I think eventually your brain gets so saturated with so many inputs that you just start coming up with crazy stuff.
0: That makes sense. And, you know, you said you wrote your first book by fifth grade, and you're like, obviously I didn't publish that. Um, (laughs) I think I'm lucky
1: that nobody published that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Probably, right? If we could all see our uh, our own past work, we'd be like, ah, I've gotten a lot better. I'm glad that one never saw the light of day. Yes,
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But that's something that persisted. Like, you kept writing, and you still do today.
1: That's correct, yeah. you have know, novels, it's just, it's developed more to, like, in the beginning, I had less to tell. I felt like, you know, I was like, I don't want to bite off other people, so I get to come up with stuff, but when you're like 12 you're not coming up with lots of great ideas what i do now is like i'll go on a bike ride and i'll be thinking about my next work like with a short story or, or a novel and i'll come up with ideas and when i get home and by the way bike rides or runs are ideal for this because you have all those endorphins going through your head and, and it, it it seems to really like prompt you to think up some great ideas so when i get home i write it down in the notes on my phone so i have like a whole list of notes so I don't forget all the great ideas I came up with while I went for the bike ride or the run or whatever. And then when I sit down to write next, I look at all the notes, and I have a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, that was a great idea. I'll include that. You know, that, That's what I try to do.
0: Yeah, do you ever hit that point where you're looking at the note list, and you're like, boy, I don't want to really cut any of these because I think they're great, but I definitely need to for like a continuity?
1: No, I, I do. And like, I, I think there's some stuff where I'm like, I, I really like that idea. How can I incorporate that? I'm like, it does not flow at all with the story I'm doing. Maybe I'll write another story and I'll put that in the next one. Yeah. So I've written short stories and I've written you know, novellas and novels.
0: And you've got another uh, notebook idea pad full of stuff for the next 12.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a bunch of ideas that if you flesh them out, they would be much longer pieces.
0: That's awesome. So... When did you make a change from, okay, I'm going to focus on writing into whatever the next artistic medium was?
1: Well, I did not make a firm conviction to change from one thing to another thing. I've done art since I was a little kid, and I think my art skills developed faster than my writing skills, you know, and so, plus I was getting a lot more recognition, because when you're a writer, people kind of like, they brush it off, like you have to really impress them before they go okay you're good at this but when you do art especially like I went to high school I was in a punk rock subculture and people who do good artwork in that subculture aren't there aren't that many of them so they always want somebody who can like illustrate their album you know do their their leather jacket paintings and flyer art and and art and stuff like that like they're all, that's always in demand so, you know, that, that stuff immediately gets you recognition. That stuff immediately, like, makes out to other people. And you have to do, I think it's a little bit more of a process to give it something to check out your writing, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's, like, a commitment level to, like, hey, read this book I wrote. Uh, many people don't read these days?
1: The latest book is available on audio, and the audio version sells way better than every other version.
0: Yeah, I imagine it does. Did you do your own audio recording?
1: No, and everyone asked me that, and I would never do that. <laughs> I think, um, I remember hearing critique, I think it was about Stephen King, where he did uh, an audio version of one of his own stories, and everybody's like, yeah, man, I, I wish you didn't do it. It's, because the people do audio, if you get somebody that's at least decently proficient, you know, they know what they're doing, They know where to put the emphasis, they know how to make it flow, so it sounds like a good storyteller. Whereas if you're an author, maybe you can write a good story, but you might have a hard time narrating it. So I'd rather an expert do it.
0: No, I get it. Uh, I had a guy early on in this show, in like my first month or so, who is a professional at, at narrating audiobooks. So he has something like 300 audiobooks under his belt, but is not a writer. Okay. So it's one of those that I think is interesting. Some people will write their book and then read it, and then some people are like. I wrote that. I'm going to get somebody who I think has a really good voice to read it because I don't want to do it myself or I think they do a better job.
1: I think anything that you do well um, is an artistic talent. So, you know, maybe your artistic talent isn't writing the material, but is narrating the material in a way that it sounds awesome. Like, like kind of like a good movie actor he might not have written the subject matter, but he acts in a way that convinces you. So that that's that's an artistic talent in and of itself.
0: And when you look at it like that, you really see like there are so many branches of what we would consider art that right. like you don't think about as art on its on its base level. You don't look at like an audiobook and be like, Oh, this is art. But if you stopped and thought about it, you're like, Yeah, it is art. <laughs>
1: Well, like I said, I think if you do anything well, it's art. Like, if you're a great car builder, that's art. You know, you have the people that are just working in manufacturing line and crank out stuff. But then if you're really good at custom designing stuff, that, that's completely art. If you custom design, like, uh, furniture, that can be art as well. If it's not like Ikea, like, one stamp and out. You know, if, it, like, if you do, like, woodworking and all sorts, that's art. You know, so there, there's a lot of fields of art.
0: Yeah, which makes it very, I think, like a really interesting field to look at, because, you know, as you said, anything that you're like doing really, really well, and you're doing custom work, you know, you consider it art, and there's still so many fields of it, and you somehow managed to get your hands in kind of all of them.
1: Well, not all of them, not, not even close, but it, several of them, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. I just mean like when people think of the big, I guess you'd call it like a genre or like a uh, one type of art, where you're like, oh, have you worked with an oil painting? You're like, yes, I oil paint. Hmm. Or do you write? Yes, I also write. There's a you hit a good number of those check boxes. I feel.
1: Yeah, I like that. I, I agree with that. Um, like I said, I, I don't narrate my book, so that's a field that you know I'm not proficient in. If somebody said, hey, you want to make a movie out of this, uh, what do you think about directing it? I'd be like, whoa, I'm not a director. Yeah. I mean, just somebody like Guillermo del Terror or, or uh, Sam Raimi or somebody that you know I think does a really good job with that. They they would blow me out of the water.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you said you kind of caught your stride. you know, doing a lot of illustration work for people in the punk rock scene. What came after that?
1: Well... It- First, when you're putting out artwork and you're putting out writing, especially when you're like in your early 20s, you're like, do people really like this? Are people receptive to it? Like, you question yourself a lot. I mean, ideally, you question yourself the whole process, so you keep evolving. But you, especially when you first start out, question it like, am I even good at this? You know, is this, is this really worth pursuing? And that's where I said that, you know, that mentality has to come in where it's like, you're ambitious enough to, to follow your dream, you know. Even if even if it's not coming off, work something else on the side, you know, to support yourself, but stick to your dream. Like I remember being a dishwasher, and I come home and I draw until late in the night because I wanted to be a comic artist. So I'd be working on storyboard pages, and then I go the next day and I work as a dishwasher all day, and then I come back and I again late in the night, I'd be listening to music, just drawing storyboards. So I, I think you got to you, you got to at least give it an attempt.
0: Yeah. And you said something really interesting there where you said like, you know, you have to be critical of yourself, but not so critical that you're like worried about every single line you draw. Right. Where's, how do you find the fine balance in there?
1: Right. Well, that is a problem because there are some people that think like, I remember going to our school and there'd be people that would draw something and our teacher would come in and go, yeah, the anatomy's way off, the light source is way off, you know, the perspective's way off. Like, oh, well, you know, Picasso. And, like, they, they bring up people who did stuff that was more surreal. And you go, you know, Picasso used to be able to do stuff that was incredibly realistic until he developed a style. So you need to know the rules to efficiently break them. You know, so, but I, I think, so there's, you can't be too cocky. You have to listen to people. But you can't, be defeated either because you're always going to find haters like i I remember i did a cover for i was a bike messenger at the time and uh maximum rock and roll which uh, i'm not sure if you're familiar with them but they're like a uh huge punk magazine in dc not in dc in california and uh at the time timmy hannon was still alive and he was helming it and they asked me to do a cover and i was like oh man you know. I I made it, you know, I'm really gonna do it. This this is my breakthrough moment. So, I remember I did a cover illustration, and Tim didn't like it. Then another one, and he didn't like it. Then a third one, he's like, oh, this is great. So, then it got published, it's a full cover illustration, and I did all the um, little illustrations for the main article inside, and I remember telling other people, there was one guy who was also a punk rocker. He was also a bike messenger. He was like, Hey man, you gotta check this out. He's like, Yeah, I don't like that style. <laughs> it was like, not, Hey man, I can't believe you got this. Not, you know, Hey, you pulled it off. It was just like, Yeah, I don't really like that style. Like, but you can't let that defeat you. You can't go, Oh, well, okay. I mean, if he said, Hey, you know, the, the anatomy was way off or something, you should listen to it. Because I just don't like the style. Don't don't be defeated by that. You know, and by pursuing this, I, I've had like people that I think are really big names, you know, compliment me. Like uh Frank Frazetta's daughter complimented my work. I'm a big fan of Frazetta. Um, Neil Adams' assistant complimented my work. She said that you know DC Comics was so stupid not to try and pull you in. Yeah, you know, you're gonna get the good with the bad. You you can't you can't you, know, you can't ignore the bad, but you can't be defeated by it. Absolutely,
0: so aside from working, you know making sure you have the fundamentals to know the rules to break the rules, right? Do you have advice for people like trying to find a style because I'm sure a lot of people probably ask you, how do I hone what I'm good at or what i should what kind of style should I have
1: well, what you see it is kind of unfortunate, but you see a lot now with people is they either tend to give up right away they're like yeah i don't think i'll ever develop a style whatever or they tend to be super cocky like they're making artistic mistakes and they go that's just my style it's like you need to be a little more flexible with that but um i remember when i started i didn't think i had a style i was like i'm just drawing and painting what i see and i remember my art teacher would be like no you have a style and other artists would be like no you have a style and over time Just the way that you see stuff, like what you choose to highlight and what you choose to leave out and the color scheme to use and so on, that helps you develop your own style. And as time proceeds, you do more work and that helps you kind of like uh, cultivate that and and like hone it to like, you know, a fine tipped edge.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you kind of just need to build this large base of work and then maybe have somebody look at it to say like, oh, these are the things that are common between them.
1: Yeah, you need to do your best and you need to be open to criticism but not be totally disheartened by criticism. And by disheartened, I mean like be open to and listen to what they have to say but don't give up. You know, if somebody doesn't like your stuff, go, I will do better next time and that time I will impress them. You know, so you need that attitude. And it really helps if, you know, you can't do like, there's some people that think it's better if you learn everything on your own like you're somehow i don't know more of a genius or more more of an artist or whatever everybody learns off stuff so you, you should get some reference books and you should draw from life i think those are two of the biggest things they're definitely what help me the most draw from life like any local community college or um, a lot of schools as well will have like a drawing day where like i, I guess you have to like you know, tip, you have to ship in like 10 bucks or 15 bucks and you can sit the whole day and you will draw a model. And often the art teacher will come around and will tell you, Hey, why don't you focus on this a little bit more? watch you, and they'll give you guide work. And that really, really helps.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can see that like, you know, any kind of time you can take on experience from somebody who knows what they're doing, that's a great opportunity. And then just, I think practice, right? Like, I think that's what most people have always said is like,
1: listen to advice and listen to comments, especially from people that are in the profession. Like if, you know, other people say something about your art, it, it shouldn't have as much impact as an art teacher.
0: Yeah. Which is one of those, like, you don't have to be your exact art teacher style. You just have to take their advice when they give you something helpful, like take it to mind. And when they give you something critical. Think on it that that might be unhonest feedback.
1: Yeah, well, good art teachers don't try and push you and do a style. They just try and help you develop your own.
0: Yeah. So when you do eventually develop the style, does it cross over between mediums? Like, you know, the work you've done oil painting, does it cross over into tattoo?
1: It does it and it doesn't. Like, a lot of people... Nowadays, it does a lot more. Like, when I first started tattooing, uh, they nobody there were a few people but it wasn't common to have realistic tattoos most tattoos you'd walk into a shop they had what we call flash like the designs on the wall and you look at that and you pick something and you go i want that and they say that'll be 200 dollars or whatever and then you sit down and you get it done and by the way any design on the wall hundreds and hundreds of people have so you're not getting anything unique but that's kind of gone away. Now what a lot of people do is like they'll bring in their iPhones and they'll show you an image on Instagram and they go, I want this. And, and your more developed shops, like they'll come in with an idea and then you draw it for them personally. And definitely no one has it unless they copy your image of it that you put on Instagram.
0: Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, this is just my perspective. I, I have tattoos. Um, when I go to a tattoo artist, I'm like, hey, this is the thing. Like this is the concept of the character that I want. However, you do it, just like make it yours. That's generally all I say. Is they're like, well, what do you want for this? And I'm like, dude, it's up to you. Like,
1: <laughs> that's a good approach. If, if I gave, um, there's a couple pieces of advice I give people. One is do research. So before you go to a guy and go, hey man, can you do this? Uh, did he do it before? Because a lot of people will tell you they can do stuff that's way out of their artistic range, you know. Especially if they're like mediocre artists. And so you say, "Hey man, I, I want like I fixed up a lot of portraits." You know, people go to their local artist for a bunch of stuff, and then they eventually want a portrait, and they go to the same artist, and they say, "Hey man, I want a portrait of my brother who just died." And we, we that's the true story. A guy went there to his local artist and got a portrait of his brother that just died. And it was so horrible. He doesn't even talk to the artist anymore. And I fixed it up to look like his brother. And then his mom, who doesn't even have any tattoos, you know, was so touched by that. She came to me and she wanted a piece. I said, okay. But, you know, so do your research, look into people. But after you do your research, trust them. Like, if they tell you something and they say, that doesn't work, or we need to move that, you know, you might have some input into that, and you're welcome to have input into that. It is on your body, but you have to listen to them a little bit. They kind of know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, probably the beauty of having things like Instagram for tattoo artists. You can actually look at an artist's Instagram if you're like, okay, maybe I want to go to this artist. Like, look at it. Is the thing you want in there? Not specifically the tattoo you want, but like, is that the style you like? Is this, you know, are they capable of doing portraits? If there's no portraits in their work, maybe not a portrait artist.
1: Well, another thing I would say is you got to watch out on social media because a lot of people, they'll heavily manipulate it before they put it up. And there, there are kind of two things going on. One is they'll manipulate it with like Photoshop or some other photo editing software and they'll put it up. And I've had people that they've emailed me and they said, hey, man, can I pay you to drop a tattoo and I'll get it done in Europe? I'm like, why would you go to Europe to get it done? And they're like, oh, well, they have brighter ink. I'm like, no, that's called Photoshop. We have the same ink. So you have to watch out for that. The other thing you have to watch out for is fresh versus healed. So, if you look at a lot of the tattoo shows where there are cover-up shows and people come in with a horrible piece of garbage and they want something tattooed over it, and they'll cover up, like, black with white. You know, like, a very dark color with a very light color. And you're like, wow, they must be really good to pull that off. Well, the thing is, that top layer of skin, whenever you get tattooed, you know, within two weeks it dies, peels off, and grows back clear. And you see the tattoo down on the second layer of skin. But when you first get a cover-up, that top layer is saturated and that blocks out what's on the second layer. But when it heals up, the second layer is going to pop back through. So you, a lot of those cover-offs you see them when they first did and they take a photo of it, or they show it off on TV, but they don't show what it looks like two weeks later when the original pops back through it.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. I think a lot of people probably don't think about because they're like, oh yeah, in the, the first moment that tattoo is done, like it looks like it's done on canvas and right. you're like, yeah, but it's human skin. Human skin doesn't just sit pretty like a piece of paper that you can draw on.
1: Well, that's actually that's another point. Uh, is that um, over time, if you look at old tattoos, they spread. You know, and we're not a hundred percent sure, but we think what happens is when you tattoo the skin, the ink particles they attach to cells, and over time, the cells are intercellular fluid and they move around, and that's why older tattoos blur. You know and that's also why if you go in the sun a lot they lighten up because the sun's killing cells and they're going to replace with fresh cells that don't have ink on them and like in fact a laser tattoo removal is just basically an intense sunburn so you have to kind of keep all that stuff in mind like they say the best tattoo you should be able to look at somebody across the street and be like. Oh that you know the sleeve looks amazing i can tell what's going on if you have to you know be very close and stare at it you know a few inches away from your eyes it's not a good tattoo
0: yeah with some of those things like you know you said blurring and kind of spreading as they get older have we developed a technique if you like really pack the thing with color in every inch of the skin does it stop any of that or is there still not, like a blur
1: yeah, no it does a little bit um, so if, if people do like a, a portrait, it used to be if they did a color portrait. And by the way, I was one. Uh, I feel like I was one of the first guys doing color portraits. I was definitely one of the first guys in magazines doing color portraits. And I know a lot of people who do black and white portraits. Like, ah, oh, that won't hold up. And it does hold up, but there's you, you have to there's certain techniques that you have to learn. And fortunately, I learned the hard way <laughs> what what you need to do and not do. But definitely, if you put like a black line in the skin over time it's going to start to spread a little bit but if you put a black line and you put a white lines on either side of it they kind of trap it in and keep that line a little bit more solid so it's not a hundred percent cure it's going to be perfect from that point on but it definitely helps a lot it What's definitely that? helps with the durability and, and you know another thing too is when they used to do portraits especially color portraits they they would leave a lot of open skin And it would look very good. Like, you'd be like, oh, that looks so realistic. But the time span of last would be very, very short. So now they tend to pack in the skin. Like, if you look at, like, some of the best portrait artists, like uh, Nico Ritato does amazing color portraits. And he will pack in the skin. And also, he does more than one session. Because in the the first session, if it's a ideal situation, the skin only keeps about 60% of the ink. Like, all the rest washes out. So what you're saying is only 60% of the ink. But imagine if you have two sessions, so it keeps 60%, and the next time... I mean, it's not going to be, like, 120%, but next time <laughs> it keeps it a little bit more. So the more saturated and packed it is, the the more stuff kind of stays in place and looks solid.
0: Oh, well, and that's something that I think is mm-hmm. really unique to tattooing, and I could be very wrong, but, like, you have to think about how is this going to hold up over the next 10 to 20 years versus if you're carving wood, you don't have to think about how the wood's going to age over the next 10 years. If it's sealed and it's the perfect wood, I would guess it's going to stay what it is.
1: Yeah. Well, that's like, you asked about the whole, like doing artwork as opposed to tattooing. That's one thing you have to think about, like what you do artwork wise. It's one, it's going to stay the way it looks, a lot longer than it would on the skin. When you do it on skin, you have to think, well, I do a little bit higher contrast so that it holds up over time. So you do little tiny lines, like there's a fad where people are getting like little tiny script on them and stuff. That looks horrible within two years because it all starts to to spread out. It looks like you just have a gray blob on you. So you have to do stuff at a certain size. That's what you learn is you learn the transition from artwork to tattooing. Stuff has to be a certain size. It needs to be a little bit higher contrast. Um, you don't necessarily need black around everything, but you need dark edges to hold something in there, you know, over time. It, it needs to, it should flow well with the body. Like, you can't do designs, like, if it's on paper, it could be one way or the other way. It doesn't matter. If it's on skin, like, you don't want face facing backwards. You know, you, you don't want, there, there's a bunch of rules, but the rules that help it look better over time. Like, a lot of people get stuff and they want it upside down on their hand, you know, like on their forearm, so that they can hold their arm up and they can read it and they can look at it. I'm like, yeah, but the, to the entire rest of the world, it's going to look like it's upside down. And they're like, oh, I don't care. I'm just using this for me. It's like, yeah, but you're going to hear that every day for the next, like, 30 years. Do you really want to piece it, you know, everyone says it's upside down? So uh, th- there's stuff you have to think about.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's, like, really particular, because things on your body obviously have, like, a sense of direction. Like you said, if you put the face facing backwards, it's always kind of looking the wrong direction. Right. Uh, But when you talk about things like, you know, a tattoo that's going to change over time, um, do you see that in other art? Because I feel like we still display, and very prominently oil paintings from the renaissance is there an upkeep to that or is it just like once it's on canvas it just exists forever
1: they're a lot more resistant i mean obviously uh, we had a fire at my shop like uh, we we've rebuilt since then we had a fire in my shop and I had oil paintings on the wall and some of them would get so hot that they would crack and when it cracks and like and chips fall off then that painting is permanently damaged but if we didn't have the fire the painting would be fine so taking aside extenuating circumstances, that kind of stuff does last a lot longer.
0: Yeah. Is there a reason, and this is just me having a curious thought, uh, is there a reason like to pick oil over any of the other like painting mediums, like an acrylic?
1: Oh, definitely. I think so. Like When, when I was in high school and I was um, painting everyone's leather jackets and all that stuff, I was stuck on acrylic. And the nice thing about acrylic is it dries fairly quickly. Definitely, you can like paint a leather jacket with it, and you know it holds up. I mean, it's gonna scrape off and crack off eventually, but it's it's more grabby than oil paint is. Um, but as far as like doing a realistic illustration, you can't beat oil paint, and the reason why is it has a lot of properties that other paint doesn't have. And I wasn't even really into it until I went to art school and they made me use oil. And the first three paintings I did, I was like, this is infuriating. I hate this. And then, you know, the fourth painting, I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is all I'm ever going to use. But they have, only oil paint has this where they have transparent, opaque, and semi-opaque. So what you can do is you can do something in the background then you can put almost like a film over top of it, transparent. So if you go, yeah, I want to, you know, this looks awesome, but why don't I put like a green sheen on it? Well, take a green transparent and you can put that on it they also have this thing where because it stays moist for so long where you can use fan brush and you do like complex blends and everything and you have a much harder time doing that with like uh watercolor or oil or right, not or acrylic
0: yeah no, i mean it sounds like something that yeah you, you have to take in the working time into account you gotta take everything in like I don't know of an acrylic that has a transparent other than just like a transparent layer of acrylic like a seal. Yeah, I don't know of any, I mean, I I
1: painted plenty of acrylic and, you know, it's harder to, to spread from like, like if you do an oil painting and you do green to yellow, you do a nice smooth transition. If you do an acrylic, you have to mix individually every single tiny transition and paint it in there. So, You know, there's a lot, I I feel like there's a lot more potential with oil. And if you look, there's a reason why all the old masters use oil. You know, and a lot of people that replicate the old masters, they all use oil. None of them use acrylic.
0: Yeah. And it seems like, well, how are you going to pull this off with acrylic without putting in 600 times the amount of work?
1: Even if you put in 600 times the amount of work, it's still not going to look the same. You know, it's going to look, obviously, better than if you put in, you know, two hours of work, but, it, you know, it's, you know, you don't get that transparent look. Like, like oil looks like it almost pops off the canvas, and you just don't get that with the acrylic.
0: Yeah. So, I had a question, just because it's something I think I've seen in every movie about art school ever, and I don't know if it holds up. Is there a purpose behind, like, bringing in nude models
1: is there a purpose behind it like it it kind of depends on what you're doing i mean it, you know obviously if you're doing something realistic and the you know the female the male is nude then it helps and if they're wearing clothing that like constricts the skin or pulls anything that that might be a disadvantage so like maybe you're painting like only their upper body but they're wearing something like much tighter like lower down and that's distorting the skin yeah, but there's, like I said, it depends on what you're painting. If you're painting Spider-Man, you don't need a nude person standing in front of you looking like Spider-Man, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just curious, because it always seems like it shows up in the movies where everyone, like, goes to an art class, and then the nude model comes in. And I'm like, is there a reason? Yeah, okay,
1: it's like a stereotype. I mean, there, there, there is, when I'm thinking of it, like, there is some, like, like for instance, if you're painting Spider-Man, you know, he needs to be wearing like elastic stretch, you know, pants and a shirt, like basically skin tight rash guard type stuff. So it, it you can see like the muscles and the flow of the body and so on. But he doesn't need to be nude. And it's kind of a cliche of like, oh, art schools always have somebody nude. We're going to have a scene where you go into art school and you have somebody nude. Yeah. I mean, often, often in art school, when they have like a drawing from life, they will have the person posing nude but they want you to draw the entire body. So it, it's kind of like it goes with what they're asking you to do.
0: Yeah, I didn't know if there was a purpose like, oh, you're going to learn how you know natural shadow affects the body, and that's why we bring in a person and not just like a bowl of fruit.
1: Right. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at like light and shade, you know, it could be a bowl of fruit. It could be a fully dressed person. That really has almost nothing to do with it. You know, if you're, if you're focusing on anatomy, it has everything to do with it. And often when you're drawing from life, you're kind of focusing on everything all at once. Light and shade, anatomy, perspective, you know, so you have a couple different things going on.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, you've worked in a lot of mediums. Which one do you think took the most time or training or, you know, just practice to get the best at? Oil painting. Oil but, painting? Yeah. Okay. Why is it?
1: It's because oil painting, it has so much more – and like I said, when I started, I was frustrated because I was like, this is garbage. You know, it's way easier to do acrylic. But then when you learn it, like, oil painting just has all these properties that you can't get with other things. Like, the because it stays moist on the canvas, but it's like – like, it has oil as opposed to, like, water keeping it moist. So, it, it's a little bit, like, thinner medium, so you can, like, blend colors in to each other. Um, they have a fan brush where, you know, you can, a fan brush is, like, a spread-out brush so that you can carefully, like, you can very carefully and smoothly do blends. And then, you have like, smaller liner brushes that you can do, like, little details, like the eyes and the eyebrows and stuff like that. And, and all that stuff, I mean, it, it's possible in the other mediums, but they don't have as many tools. It's like... It's like using a computer from, like, I don't know, 1991 versus one now. You know, it's just,
0: it's like the same thing, but with way more ability. Right. Is there one you've enjoyed the most? Like, learning it, or just staying with that day in... Well, probably
1: the one that that I spent the long I don't know if there's one that I enjoy because you always feel completely frustrated that you can't get out of your vision until all of a sudden you achieve it and then you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you stick with it. But there, there's not like, there's not like one medium that's like almost every medium, you know, and, and like, I remember, you know, I, I had that going on with comic books, like for the longest time. I was like, I'd be drawing comic books, and I, I couldn't figure out, should I use um, quill brushes, should or quill pens rather, should I use um, repeatograph pens, should I use uh, brushes, if so, where do I get brushes small enough to do all the line work I want. So you go through this process, and the way it looks in your mind is amazing, and the way it's translating the paper is super frustrating until you pull off, and you're like, oh, that looks so good. But they that kind of happens with everything, I feel like.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like, you know, you've managed to keep all of these, where you're like, yeah, I didn't just stop writing, like, when I started tattooing, like, I kept writing, I kept doing, you know, like, physical work on canvas, like, I didn't just drop it and be like, oh, I'm just a tattoo artist now.
1: Well, I'm a little bit OCD, probably, so. <laughs> So, you know, I have a hard time, like, picking one thing and going, that's the only thing that I do. I, it kind of, like, if I lived in my ideal world, like, I own a tattoo shop and a tattoo, obviously, but I tattoo, like, three days a week. And the rest of the time, I work on paintings and I work on drawings. I have to do drawings for magazines. I do covers for books. I do artwork for apparel. I do artwork for bands. You know, so if, if I can fill all that stuff, it helps.
0: No, I get that. And it's like it keeps it, I would think, like fresh enough that you're always kinda learning something in one or the other and you're always like you're getting better at everything constantly. And that's well, I seems...
1: think it does help. There, I think there's two sides to it. Like one side is you definitely have to do it a lot to get good at anything. But the other side is some people like they overwork themselves. They're they're like, I'm just gonna keep writing until You know, I come up with something good, and they'll just write, and they'll write, and they'll write, and they'll write, and they're almost getting in their own head and frustrating themselves. If I come to a block, whether it's a painting or a writing project, like a story or whatever, then I take a break and I do something, and it really helps you do something physically active because it gets all the endorphins rushing through you, it's your blood pumping, and that helps you think better because all that stuff goes through your brain a lot Rapidly, a lot more efficiently, and, and it it really helps you, you know, because you're doing something else, but you have an increased like, like I don't know, mental capacity. So like like I said, I'll go for a bike ride, or I'll go for a run, or gym. Like I do jitsu and I do Muay Thai as well. So you know, often when I come to something, I'll just leave it alone, and I'll make sure I come back to it. I don't leave it alone for a year, you know, but. I'll take a break and do something else and kind of refocus
0: myself. Well, and you've been fortunate enough to kind of work in a lot of these and you work on a lot of things. Like I said, you're still doing cover work, still doing like all this really cool stuff. Are there any cautionary tales where you're like, you got to be really careful if you're getting into, you know, artwork at whichever level in whatever field, like be really careful that you don't get into this trap.
1: Okay, well, aside from the stuff that I already mentioned, which I think is pretty important as far as, like, being open to change, but don't be so open to criticism and you get disheartened, aside from that, you have to watch out for publishers. Publishers can be uh, the downfall of anybody. (laughs) You know, so try and keep the rights to stuff, and even if you get paid a little bit less, make sure that you keep the rights and the ability to express yourself the way you want to like don't be total hard ass you do have to listen to them like if they say hey i want this for a book cover to say okay well i was kind of envisioning it this way you know if they're like hey well you know i was envisioning this way you go well how about this And so try to work on like a happy medium like i do that with tattooing all the time it's like what do you want? You know, if they come up with something that doesn't work well as a tattoo, then we, we go back and forth. It's not like this way or the highway, because if you do that, then a lot of people are just going to tune you out, whether it's writing or drawing or tattooing or anything. So always, always stick to that. Don't do anything for free. Like a lot of people say, oh, it's free promotion. It's great promotion just to do the artwork or the writing for me. They don't value your stuff. They just want free stuff. You know and once you've established that like hey I do stuff for free now you're their go-to guy they don't want to pay you why would they pay you this time if they didn't pay you last time? So even if you get a fairly minimal amount make sure you get something.
0: yeah value your time
1: right but, and I don't I don't think that, I'm, there' are some people that value their stuff a little bit too much like I have to get top dollar on everything even though you have no idea who I am. You know, I I can see like, you know, you go to like a more indie magazine or indie comic book company or whatever, and they often don't have a lot of money to spend. So, you don't want to do it for free, but at the same time, you want to get in the business. So, say, I'll do it, but you know, what do you have to spend? I think that's a really safe thing to ask people. Like, what do you have to spend? And tell them what you can do for what they have to spend. And make sure you keep the rights to it, like the rights to the artwork, the original artwork, stuff like that. Because if they go, oh yeah, man, like like I do a lot of magazine and, and album covers and I do it for, you know, bands and magazines are more on the indie line. So they can't pay you a lot of money. I'm like, sure. But I keep the original and I keep the rights to use.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's important because what if that thing has a sudden explosion and you're like, man, I did it for cheap, and I let it go forever.
1: Right. That happened to a lot of comic artists back in the day. Like, like Alan Moore, who wrote Watchmen, he got totally screwed by DC Comics. A lot of people did. A lot of people got, you know, not DC Comics exclusively. It was like, every comic company was like, we're just going to keep the rights to everything. And like, like, Alan Moore, when he wrote Watchmen, and it made it into like, all these magazines and people were talking about it like being so well written and the best ever dc didn't think it was going to be a big deal when it came out they thought they're just going to like sell you know a little bit give them some indie cred and that would be it and so they told them they're like well you know the the first race renewal um will come up and like i forget when it was but they said when it comes up we just want to renew the rice and then they'll all revert to you well, the minute it started selling, they started renewing the rights. And they've renewed the rights ever since then. So he has no rights to Washman whatsoever. In fact, when the movie came out, he asked them to take his name off the movie because he's like, I don't want to be associated with it.
0: Yeah, like I haven't had a, a part in my own work in, in 20 years. Why you suddenly want to put my name on stuff now?
1: And they do it just because they want to sell it. Because they're like, he's a marketable property, but we'll keep all the money and not give him any. When Watchmen was blowing up big, they started making Watchmen t-shirts, Watchmen watches, Watchmen posters. And he goes, well, where's my percentage? And they go, oh, no, this is promo for your comic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, obviously, all things to watch out for. Are there any things you would actively, like, dissuade people from pursuing?
1: I I think it's more individual venues, like their publishers. I could say, yeah, there's... That that guy's no good, or that company is no good. Um, and I'd say that there are certain like companies. I say you have to look at what they offer and what you what you're willing to give them. Like you have to look at how it's worded so you don't get screwed. Like like a lot of musicians that signed to major labels, and didn't know much, and they sold millions of albums, and they still live at home, and they can barely pay the rent. You 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 got to pay attention to the contracts.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably another advantage of like we live in the internet age luckily now when a company has that kind of uh a background and that kind of a, a history that people know about like they start posting about it and yeah. you're like oh should i sign with this company you could look them up and like oh look at all this bad press they have
1: <laughs> no I, I think this happened a lot it's happening everywhere from like it happened with combo's like um Tom McFarlane felt he really wasn't getting his fair shake from Marvel, so he started Image Comics. He owns all the rights to Spawn. He started with a number of other people, but I'm saying he keeps all the rights to his stuff by being there. You know, and a lot of, a lot of musicians like they started their own labels, or you know, they they just put their own stuff out privately on like you know Amazon or iTunes or whatever. And they actually find they make more money off that than be, being on a major label.
0: Yeah, and that's one of those I wanted to ask you because I think, you know, every parent ever is like, how are you going to make money on art? Is it so hard to make it to a, a living wage or is like the starving artist a genuine concern?
1: Well, I think the the starving artist is, I mean, it's definitely a genuine concern, but it's especially in the early days, you're going to starve get a second job do something else because it's extremely rare where they just go you're amazingly talented you're hired and here's a pile of money it's extremely you have to you have to work your way up there and like i said you have to try different fields like like i tried i did political cartoons for two years and i went to the society of illustrators and i was like this is not going to pay my rent so then i moved on to something else so I wouldn't be dissuaded from trying stuff, but don't be sold on this. Is this or the highway, you know? And uh, you are going to start it first. You, you have to prove yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's an important distinction. Like, hey, if I've told people, you know, if I had to live on this, like what I make from this podcast, I would be homeless. Uh, <laughs> like, but I have a job. I work a job and I do this because it's something I enjoy. It's something I want to do. And it's something like, I see one day hopefully doing full time. But in the meantime, like, you know, you got to know that there isn't money when you walk in the door to something.
1: Right. And and You you have to prove yourself. Like if people are enjoying your podcast and they go, yeah, man, you know, why don't you check this out? And then it just builds up over time because it's quality. You know, it's not like you just hop on the scene and suddenly everybody's like, here's a million dollars or a hundred million. What did Joe Rogan get? A hundred million.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a it's a snowball. Like, I just started. I've been paid, like, I got 20 bucks for, for one ad. I got a little more for a different one. Like, that's great, but I'm not signing a $100 million contract. That's for sure. That's a snowball to, you know, hopefully a decade later or something.
1: Well, you listen to Joe Rogan talk about it. Like, when he started, it was like, it was just me and friends. They we were just talking shit, and it was just like, it just turned into this big thing. Like we had no plans. We didn't know it was gonna
0: go anywhere. Well, and that's. I think that's part of like you got to be real about it. I make the joke like I just did. Like, oh, that's a decade later. Like, I don't have any illusion that in my life I'm going to make a hundred million dollars. I think that's a crazy contract. That he is very famous, has a lot of famous friends, and was very lucky he got to that point. But right. you know, you gotta you gotta have a sense of realism for yourself too. <laughs>
1: Well, that's the other thing. I was saying don't get discouraged. Like, one of my stories got optioned by, I forget, it was a streaming service, like Netflix. It wasn't Netflix. But, like, like my middle book has a bunch of short stories in it. And one of those stories got optioned for an episode of whatever series was coming out. And I got all excited, obviously. It just never happened. You know, but you can't go, oh, it didn't happen. You know, I give up. It's like, well, it, it would have been great if it got picked up. Maybe something else to get picked up in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a cool, like a, a disheartening, I guess, in the moment, but like a really cool moment because it's the first time that something you know got optioned. But that doesn't, by any stretch, mean it's the last time. It means it's the first right. time it like it hit that threshold, and you're like, oh, here it is.
1: Well, and if you look at everything that broke big. The vast majority of it did by pure accident, pure chance, right place, right time. Like, Guns N' Roses, when they came out with um, their their debut multi-platinum album, nobody listened to it for a year. Like, they were trying to get on MTV. MTV was ignoring them. And I think the label, finally, they had some deal with MTV. Like, we'll give you this video, but you have to play a Guns N' Roses video. And they played it at, like, midnight. And it was still requested that blew them up, but before that they were they were going anywhere,
0: yeah, and it's it's weird the way things happen like that, because if you look at like some of the old artists, like a van Gogh, I think is the one that pops right into my brain, like that dude had no success through his entire life, died without old any... artist
1: made fun of him
0: yeah, died without success and then exploded afterwards and influenced, like, a major wave of art change. Yeah. So...
1: I'm not a fan of Van Gogh. I've I've been to the Wright Museum, I've seen them personally, his paintings personally. I'm not a huge fan of his. But, yeah, no, he, he... Unfortunately, he stuck with it at a time when it really didn't produce much anything. And later on, like, people were making a lot of money up at him. That also happened with uh, one of my favorites, uh, H.P. Lovecraft. Like, he wrote all this stuff. He died of cancer poor. Edgar Allan Poe, he died died in, like, a a sewage, you know, water drainage ditch. You know, I mean, he was an alcoholic, but, you know. And and both of them are hugely influential and would be, like, multimillionaires now.
0: Yeah, if they just uh, lived long enough to collect on the rights for everything that everyone uses now. (laughs) Right. Yeah, which kind of makes me wonder, like, you get into, we'll just say, like, physical artwork. Say I got really into oil paintings and I started producing them just from myself. Is it easy enough for me to get into the art market or is there, like, restrictions on who can enter and how you get in?
1: There are restrictions. It is hard. Kind of like anything, like music, like publishing, anything. It's like the whoever is buying it, whatever company is buying it, they have to hear something about you. Maybe somebody told them something. Maybe they saw that you were like the current big thing, you know. But it doesn't necessarily matter if it's really good or not. It kind of matters who sees it. But you need to constantly keep putting out good material because if it's mediocre material, no matter who sees it, they're going to turn it down. So when, when you start trying to get artwork out there, I think one thing that helps is uh, like, like with the bands, when I started doing album covers, I would go see the bands live. I had like a kind of slick portfolio that I made up to like show book companies and stuff. And I'd see the band and then afterwards... I just walk up to the side of the stage and try and talk to members of the band. Be like, hey man, I love, I love your sound. I want to do some artwork for you. And I show them the portfolio. you know, you, you got to have faith and confidence in your ability to kind of you know push it out there. They, they have a lot of um, venues like a, like a lexicon. And they have a, like an online site. And you can submit your stuff to it. And if they like it enough, then they'll publish it in their book at the end of the year. You know, and the more you get your stuff out there, the more other people are suddenly interested in you. Like I've done album covers, and then you know people go, "Oh, who did that album cover?" And then they look me up off that, and then they email me off that. So, you, you, I mean, you gotta you gotta push to get out there in the first place, but you know, if you do good work, I think you get the ball
0: rolling. That's awesome. Have you experimented at all with digital art?
1: I have. I'm just not a fan. It's you know, some people like. Actually, this is what they do with comics a lot now. Is um, people will pencil it and they'll scan it in. They'll ink it digitally and they'll color it digitally and they'll put it out. And <clears throat> but I've done comic book stuff. Like I love to, I love to pencil and ink my own stuff by hand. And then I'll scan it in, and I'll send it to a colorist and it, he'll do a computer colorization of the page. And it looks amazing. It's, it's just it's not something I do.
0: Yeah, well, I was just wondering cuz it's like it's becoming I mean much more popular I feel as it's it's getting more accessible. Like you can just get programs like if you have a phone, you have access to the most basic level of digital art apps. So I feel like it's getting very popular. I just didn't know how you like how do you feel about it and you know how does it translate to I don't to...
1: dislike it. I just to me like if there's a physical painting that I can look at and I can hold my hands and I can see the brush strokes on everything that impresses me more like I'll see stuff I'll see digital artwork and unfortunately some of it still you can see it's digital as opposed to traditional and I just like the look of traditional better you know like like especially like when they do glows and stuff like when you see like light glowing off something you know you can kind of tell you're like that was on a computer there's no way that was done by hand. So I mean, there's, I just like the look better. I, I'm not saying you, you do better because I've seen amazing artwork done on the computer. Not my thing. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, and I was just wondering, cause it's like, obviously there's a very different feel. I mean, especially like in between two things you do and then digital artwork where it's like oil painting has a very, like there's a weight to it and mm-hmm. you can like, you're going to feel your, this, each stroke or tattooing like there is a pressure balance to it you can't just you know impale somebody with the gun expect good work like you have to have this fine balance and then you get to like digital art and i don't imagine obviously i'm not a digital artist but i don't imagine there's like a lot of resistance and pressure difference in working like with digital art right
1: well i i say like i've seen digital art and there's some um where they so mimic an oil painting, it looks almost like an oil painting. And, you know, you have to look at it really hard. And even then, you're still kind of questioning yourself a little bit. You know, so I have seen people, I have seen people pull stuff off. I kind of also like the idea of having a traditional canvas right in front of me, you know. And and I like being able to work on that. I mean, I, I can see the advantage of it. Like I said, it just, it doesn't feel as real to me.
0: Yeah. All right. I had a couple of listener questions that they, uh, they sent in here and you're coming on. Um, the first one I think is like a huge question that a lot of artists get. So I don't think you're going to be terribly surprised by it, but I do think it's an interesting question, which is where do you draw inspiration from?
1: Well, I think at this point, um, at this point, I have enough going on in my head that it's not really a problem Um, like I said, it really helps you use something physically active. So you have kind of a rough idea like, Hey man, I got to draw this crazy scene and more or less it should incorporate these elements and then just go for a run, go for a bike ride, do whatever. And just kind of like mull it over while you're doing that. And I'll bet by the end of, you know, the bike ride or the run or whatever, you'll come up with some great ideas. Um, It does help to like look at other people say, hey, they come, and you don't want to copy it, but you go, this is what seems so different about it, you know, so it does help to look at the stuff that you like, and why you like it, and try and incorporate that, and then come up with your own stuff.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like maybe, even if you're not planning on, like, putting it out there as like, oh, this is my newest piece of work, you can always go to something you really enjoyed, find something that you're like, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll paint this scene from a book, like take any majorly famous artist and find a scene you like. And you're like, I want to paint this scene the way I see it in my head. Yeah. I, I
1: think it's a lot better if you paint a scene the way you see it in your head. than if you go, Oh, somebody else painted, I'm going to try and replicate their painting. So I've seen that too. And it, you know, that doesn't produce you know, the same results. That's
0: one of those that I love about writing. And I had a, guy on the show that was uh he does audio dramas and he said it's so interesting to hear from people describe a scene to him because he's like i didn't design any of the like set dressing that you're seeing because that's that's all just the way you built it in your head like i'll take credit for it because i think it's great but like that's not intentional
1: well, I think that's one of the nice things about books is you can kind of visualize stuff. Like maybe you see the character one way. Somebody else reads in to see the exact same character a different
0: way. Yeah. So one of the next questions is, do you have to move to a major metro area to be an artist these days?
1: No. You, you used to. Like when I moved to New York City, I didn't even have a computer. You know, and I remember asking my art teacher, I was like, what do I need to do to make as an artist is like move to New York. So I moved to New York and then I spent a lot of time like going to galleries and going to, um, they have like a, their, their portfolio days, which, you know, I, I thought would be more showing off for industries industry. It's more for college. You know, I was like, I just went to college. <laughs> but, um, all that stuff is a lot harder than it is these days. Like these days you can scan something in. So, Make sure you have a quality scanner, you know, or make sure that you take a quality photo of your artwork, and may, maybe you should crop it a little bit, whatever, in Photoshop, and then send it to them. And a lot of them are are really open to all that stuff.
0: No, I think that's awesome because, like you said, that used to just be the thing. Is they're like, you want to be famous, you got to move to the big city, right? And you're like, oh right. man, I, I don't want to move to the big city. <laughs>
1: Well, especially the way New York is these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you want to move here, but I mean, I remember when I first moved here. I, I thought I thought you know this place was amazing, but then again, that's also before social media, so I'd never seen anything like this. You know, I'd never experienced it. Like I could spend all day walking around the Lower East Side and, and you know going into various different like little bookstores and, and little record stores and little cafes and it, w- it was all brand new to me I, I think if there's one good thing that social media is done because they don't, a lot of negative stuff but one good thing it's done is is expose people to the wider world like you know people living in like some rural little town in the middle of nowhere and they they know what different cultures are like they know what what people that don't look exactly like them are like they're like oh they're just people
0: yeah exactly and you're like oh it's really cool to see that if you go visit new york there are all of these book and record stores that you can see that aren't just you know on the main drag or whatever right like that's really cool and it's great if you want to go visit but you now like you know it exists. You know it's out there.
1: Well, unfortunately, a lot of those like mom and pop stores have kind of gone away. And You have like more ESPN zones. So like, so if you want to look at that stuff, you can look at it on the internet. You can find it. And it's probably going to be cheaper because so you don't have to pay downtown and rents. And, you know, so, so there is a lot out there.
0: All right. Um, the last audience question I had is I think somebody just wants to like push and see what what one thing you'd say. Which is, if you had to pick only one type of art to move forward, which one would you pick?
1: What, you mean as far as, like, tattooing or illustration or oil painting or...
0: Yeah, I think they're like, if you could only tattoo or you could only write, like, what what would you do?
1: Well, I refuse to accept the boundaries of that question. <laughs> so, I, I really enjoy writing, I enjoy drawing, I enjoy tattooing. So I'm going to keep doing all those things and I try and make space in my week so that I can do like the thing that's helping the boat the most is being able to like kind of regulate it. Like, Hey, I'll do this for three days. I'll do this for three days. You know, as opposed to, I'll just do it when I get around to it.
0: Yeah. I love the answer. I think that's, (laughs) that's the correct answer. Anytime I've ever heard these questions where they're like, Hey, you get to keep one thing. What are you keeping? And you're like, I'm keeping them all. Why would I keep one? (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this interview. I think it's been awesome. I wanted to give you some time to like. You have know, people want to find you. They want to see more of what you've done. Where can they find you? What the, What should they look for?
1: Well, the best thing to check out is my website. I have everything on my website. It's uh, DanHink.com, and I have all my latest projects. I have a blog up there. Um, all my books are available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Kobo. You know, Audible. Uh, well, not all of them are available on Audible, but my latest books are available on Audible. But uh, you know, you, you can check it out that way. Actually, if you put me into Google, I'm like the first six pages of Google. So I've been kind of lucky with the media exposure thing. But uh, the website is probably the best. Awesome.
0: What What's the next big project for you?
1: I'm writing a sequel to my my current book. is called The End of the World, and I kind of write my books like. Uh, like, have you seen the the Mad Max Road Warrior movies? Yeah. So if you if you see Road Warrior, you don't have to see Mad Max to see Road Warrior. Like, it gives you a little bit of background. It's kind of cool if you see both of them, but you don't have to. So I try and do that with my novels. Like, you can read it independently, and if you want to, you can explore the other one. So the next one is going to be a sequel to the one I'm reading now, but it, it's going to be kind of a separate story that's like fighting off this massive alien invasion. And, and my dad's retired military intelligence. So um, I went to him for reference and books and I asked other people for reference. So I've, I have a whole stack of books, you know, that I'm reading up on. So I try and do my research or anything before I like dive into it. So I don't sound like a fucking moron.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on here. I appreciate your time immensely. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Please share it with people if you enjoyed it and you want to see it get to a point where I'm doing more than one episode a week. As we talked about during the episode, I'm very much still in the starving artist phase when it comes to the show, and it would be awesome to get bigger so I can invest more time into making things for such an awesome audience. Now on to the kinda big segment for the end of this episode letting you all in on the stats behind the show. We have the final numbers for March, the first quarter of 2022, and the first six months of the show existing in general, last of which I'd like to talk a little about first. In the first six months of this show existing, we've been listened to in 58 countries, with 42 more listeners from unknown countries, which puts the total between 58 and 100, since I can't see where they're from. It's also beyond my dreams to think that we have listeners of this podcast on every continent aside from Antarctica, which I'm pretty sure is just one big ice with no native inhabitants. It's all just scientists and penguins, isn't it? In any case, I'm hoping to get a full-size world map and color it in as we go. Eventually, maybe it'll fill all the way in. That'd be really cool. And until then, I'll upload it on Instagram, where I keep an updated version of the U.S. map as well. Beyond that, let's start small and scale up fast so we're not taking up all of the time. March leaderboards ended the same ranking as the last episode. Number one, U.S., California, Oregon, and Texas to thank. Number two, Canada. Three, India. Four, U.K., and Sweden at number five. The first quarter of 2022, the U.S. at number one. And again, thank you to Oregon and California for having the highest numbers. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Canada. Number four, India. And beating Germany by a single listener, Sweden for number five. Now, the top ten of all time. Number one the United States, with 65% of the total audience, covering all but five states, which are now my least favorite states. Number two, the United Kingdom, with a half of a percent lead over number three, Canada, which I've been played in in all except for three territories, Ontario having the biggest listener base. Number four, Australia, covering all but one territory that is so close to an entire continent. Number five, India. Number six, Germany. Seven, Sweden. Eight, New Zealand. Nine, Japan. And rounding out the top ten with number ten, Brazil. Thank you all so much for being here and listening to the journey so far, and thanks to everyone who might just be rolling through past episodes that they find interesting in the back catalog sometime in the future from when this is published. I have really high hopes for the next six months, and I can't wait to see what it's like. But until then, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye